The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 8, Local Promo Shoot, July 12th, 1967. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you Star Trek history buffs. Hey, yes, you canonistas out there, I do say that lovingly. <laughs> Even you tech heads, because we love you too. All you Trekophiles spelled with an F. Listen, we're, we're back with another great show about a fun but often unexplored realm of what made Star Trek Star Trek and actually what makes TV TV. We're going to dive back into the promotions arena and well here's a little in-house memo from the 60s from the original series era but you know what it could apply to almost any era of television so if you've been with us before you know the drill. Actually, it's no drill. It's a lot of fun. Check us out on Facebook.com slash The Trek Files. That's where our document of the week is. Check that out. I'll be right back with our guest. Meanwhile, you can take an earful of this little audio sample of this week's document. I do not understand why. On a show on which we are running behind, we take time out to shoot a promo for the local station. I would imagine this promo could have been shot at any time and not at a time when we are running behind and getting close to penalties. <laughs> oh, I can hear the voice of Herb Solo in that so easily. Yes, normally a big fan of his own show because he helps sell it. But here's a case where they are running, um, they're on pins and needles watching budgets just as they always are. Uh, any show, any era is doing that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that Bob Justman, the addressee here, had a good, uh, a good answer. I can't believe Bob sliding something, you know, uh, by like that. But it was the local uh, NBC affiliate there in, in Los Angeles. I don't know. It's, it, it's a whole realm. It conjures up all kinds of things that people do to promote a show once it's actually up and running. And once again, I can think of no one better to talk about this with than... The esteemed John Woodworth. <laughs> I say that, John, you're, you're a good guy, too. Esteemed, I wasn't damning with faint praise there. But my gosh, folks, 36 years there at Paramount and then into CBS, same title, uh, after the Viacom divorce. But climbed the ladder. I guess you worked, you're teaching now at Emerson College, John, but did, was your entire professional life up until a couple of years ago totally with Paramount slash CBS? Uh, hi, Larry. Uh, yes, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was, uh, except for the first two years of my career in, in Hollywood, was at a PR firm, Rogers and Cowan, which I oh. often referred to as graduate school because they just throw you right into the middle of uh, handling these producers and television shows. And it was fantastic fun and crazy kind of work. Uh, but it was uh, from there that I went off to Paramount, yes, in 1983, oh, okay. and then did basically spend my entire professional career there and was reminded often by peers and various other folks about how rare that was uh, mm-hmm. and still is, especially today. And um, I was very proud of that, but also was just completely challenged uh, at every turn and uh, completely engaged with new programs and new shows and new executives uh, that I didn't feel I needed to go off to work someplace else. I had some of the best producers in the business, some of the best colleagues, 
uh, some of the best shows from the crown jewel of Star Trek to things like Frasier and MacGyver and Family Ties and Medium and JAG and their senior hall show, Entertainment Tonight. I mean, you know, the a roster of incredibly huge uh, and brand name hits, Judge Judy, Dr. Phil, Rachel Ray, uh, all fantastic things I was uh, uh, fortunate to be able to work on. And so never really saw the need to go elsewhere because my plate was always full of, of uh, fun and engaging and, and different challenges. Right. And again, we're not, we're not uh, putting you uh, on the Desilu lot here as a young man, as a, as no. a kid. Yeah, but, when I was seven. <laughs> when you were seven. <laughs> but uh, here in 1967. But again, it's the kind of thing that uh, I know you can empathize and say, but if not this exact situation, the whole dynamic of part of your job of promoting a show is dealing with the affiliates. I don't know how hands-on you were with that or what, you know, as you climb the ladder. But that mm -hmm. was a big part, especially as... Well, especially as Star Trek Next Generation pioneered the whole idea of a syndicated affiliate network. But what, what, what comes to mind as you read Herb's, he's trying not to be angry here or accuse anyone of anything, but is an in-house little memo being fired off and you know, later it'd be an email or something. What, what came to mind as you read Herb's um, demand for answers here? Well, I, I just loved it because uh, it's, there are so many cliches and old adages to apply to it, but nothing, nothing is new under the sun. Uh, same old, same old story, whether it's 1967 or 2021, um, the, the age old story of promotion versus production, publicity versus uh, production. It's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a tug of war. Um, Although is, that sounds rather pejorative, but it's it's just a constant, um, you know, test of wills between getting the show done and in the can, and yet getting it promoted uh, and publicized. And there are people who have jobs all around to get these things done. Um, I do want to interject before we go too much further that there was a fabulous, uh, uh, incredible marketer uh, that a colleague of mine at Paramount Studios during some of those years that I was there named Merrill Cohen, Merrill Cohen, um, who oversaw a lot of the syndicated marketing, i.e. The, the specific promos and the mm -hmm. uh, tune in marketing. And we worked hand in hand all the time. Um, and something like this promo shoot that is referred to in this um, in this memo is something I can completely uh, understand and and relate to. Um, you know, I, if I had a dime for every time, I'd have a conversation with a producer where we'd call them and so excitedly say, you know, we got uh, we got uh, a camera crew from Good Morning America to come down and interview the stars, and they'd say well, we're not, we, we can't do it. We don't have time today or we don't have time tomorrow. We can't find any time. And it's so frustrating because your job, my job and my team's job and Merrill's job was to get attention and to get these sort of things happening. And then to have a producer say, sorry, can't do it. Can't accommodate you on the set. When then easily a week later, they might call you and say, why don't we have more promotion? Um, so it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it, it makes me chuckle now that I'm not in the thick of it all, but, um, I could just so relate to that memo again, whether it was 1967 or 1987 or 1997, that sort of thing would come up, uh, quite a bit. It's well, and, and, uh, his second question here about is the local station paying for this? And in this case, they're just across town. It's the local NBC, it's KNBC channel four in, in, in Los Angeles. But, uh, well, how did that work? I mean, how did that because I know it, it, at one point, and we should talk about what a revolution Next Generation was to be off network and still have its quote unquote network of affiliates who were independent syndicators. And I know that there would be big events and maybe once or twice a year, the affiliates would come in and Paramount would throw a party. They'd 
party up the B tank or <laughs> put something out in front of the theater and, and all of yes. that. Yep. Uh, so that was a dine, and that was planned, and everybody got that. But in the in in the uh, you know week to week, especially when there wasn't an event, especially when it wasn't the finale or the season premiere, and you were looking for you know sweeps month even or whatever. Um, how did that how did that work in individual stations? Was that about their clout, whether they were from New York or Poughkeepsie, or how did that all what was how that play out, and who paid well, for it? Okay, a lot of a lot of questions in there, and hopefully I can cover the answers <laughs> in some <laughs> some way. Shape, Just pick or form. and choose. Yes, I know that was I, a I, lot. I that was a lot. That's, that's okay, and you'll come back and ask me if I didn't answer it at the end. Let's see. Uh, uh, let's see. In the big picture, uh, uh, I think it is the uh, producers, and by producer I mean the the line producers, the the show's creator, and the studio producer. It's their responsibility to make sure the show gets marketed if that show doesn't get marketed and sold and get the ratings and get the renewals it doesn't get enough episodes to go into syndication to get profitable so it is in the interest of the studio and and the producer of the show to get that marketed so if there are uh, uh, needs from the marketing department whether it is the studio's marketing department or the stations that carry it or the network that carries it it's got to be accommodated uh, by the by the by the production. Um, when I did Next Generation, uh, and I saw oversaw all of the the new generation tracks from um, uh, Next Generation through to Enterprise, a fantastic woman named Mary Howard, who worked mm -hmm. for Rick Berman, was the line producer, and she was sort of the uh, uh, she had a million things on her plate. Uh, but one of which was accommodating the needs of the publicity and marketing departments. And that would include everything from a shoot on the set that said, hi, I'm Gates McFadden, tune in to Star Trek to Saturday nights at eight o'clock, uh, to a photo shoot for Time Magazine, to who knows what. Uh, to Good Morning America showing up. Good Morning America showing up, which that's a whole story I can tell at some point. <laughs> but um, is but that the weather, the, the weatherman in the. Yes. In the, uh, yes. Oh, yes. my, Larry. What, oh did my you, gosh. what did you tell that story very quickly? Oh, well, we, well ooh. Um, it's uh, been uh, it's been 20, 30 it's been years. A, it's been a good long time, hasn't it? Well, OK, so we talk about breaking barriers. Star Trek always breaks barriers. So one that they another one that they broke, we broke together was back in the late 80s i believe it was um good morning america during sweeps periods would go through these very herculean um efforts to broadcast live from the set of a popular television show not necessarily an abc television show because they're supposed to be you know covering everything um but generally huge primetime network television shows uh, and uh, and they would do the whole two hours live from there. Uh, now, Good Morning America was a New York-based show, but most of the shows that they wanted to be live from were on the West Coast. Anyway, in Breaking Barriers, we pitched Good Morning America on doing one of these two-hour live shows from Star Trek The Next Generation. And we were thrilled when they said yes. And again, we broke the barrier. They'd never done right. this from a syndicated television show. Uh, very rare that they would do it from a sci-fi show, et cetera. So we were thrilled. And, and part of the part of the barometer on where Next Generation was heading. Exactly. Why it was getting yeah. so big. Right. Correctly. Exactly. Testament to how popular it was and, and breaking all these barriers. And we were as marketers and publicists very thrilled. And um, uh, so there we are at, uh, I don't know, the wee hours of the morning, four, four o'clock in the morning Pacific time, of course, so that we could be ready and be live for West, the, the East Coast uh, feed. 
And uh, it was toward, I think it was in the second hour, though, that Spencer Christian, uh, who was the esteemed weatherman at the time, um, had put on a, uh, a crew uniform, a Trek uniform, to do the weather. Um, there were some folks uh, within our uh, cast, let's say, who were very <laughs> offended by that and not pleased by that idea. And here we were as the marketers, just so thrilled to get these two hours of exposure on ABC for this syndicated show, you know, and uh, we just think it's the most fabulous thing that you could ever imagine happening for the show. And, uh, and next thing you know, we've got a little whip up and a stir up because the weatherman happens to have on this you know, uniform. Um, anyway, he was, was a fan, a, right? He wasn't he was just a being, fan. Absolutely. He was a huge no. fan and being was, just as fanish as any 12 year old. Right. Yes, as reverential as he could be. And exactly. exactly. But not always, but that was not seen by everybody the same way. So I would say that for a very panicky 12 to 17 minutes or so uh, <laughs> in the wee hours of the morning on the dark, cold sound stages at Paramount, um, uh, we went through some panics and trying to uh, uh, unruffle some feathers and get everybody very happy and back on track with it. Um, and uh, uh, life went on and everything was okay. But, you know, there, it's a all day in the life. Work. There you go. A, a day, day in, in the life of the promotion department. Right. A day right. in the life. Exactly. But yeah. we went way off course there, didn't we? We started talking about. Oh, well, I was, I was asking you about this whole thing of next generation. Oh, yes. Say, revolutionizing right. having affiliates that weren't through a, a standard network like CBS, NBC. And and were That's you right. part of you were you were had been there four years and you were on your way up the ladder. Did you did you realize at the time how revolutionary that was, if they could pull it off and if, if they could even do it? And then when it blossomed and bloomed and I mean, because cable very quickly kind of overtook that. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, that was great, guys. But five years later, now it's outmoded in a way. I mean. But what yep. was the revolution like at the time to be part of it and to see that happen? It 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 was revolutionary uh, and and fantastic. Uh, so remembering, I'm trying to remember myself. Uh, if I'm going back to let's say 1985 and 86 when I'm handling Cheers and uh, Family Ties and these huge hits and most of the shows, you know, the scripted uh, shows we had were for networks for for NBC or for CBS or ABC, and. Along comes and 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 I would work hand in hand with the marketing and PR departments of whatever network carried our shows. When Star Trek: The Next Generation comes along, there is no network. We've sort of created our own, you know, uh, network per se of of these two hundred and ten different affiliates that all individually agree to sign on to carry the show. So I didn't have an NBC or a CBS to go through or to work with. So the onus was very much put on the studio, uh, my department. Merrill Cohen's department um, to to keep the marketing alive, keep the marketing happening, and we had to do that hand in hand with these individual stations. So uh, those stations were critical to us. You know, they paid very large uh, licensing fees uh, to carry the show. That brought us our revenue and gave us the budgets to make the show. And so, if if a Chicago affiliate, an Oklahoma City affiliate, a Fresno affiliate needed something, an interview for their local news, if they needed a promo that says tune in and watch Saturdays at seven o'clock, we were there to help make that happen. And it was generally at our cost because we'd the most efficient way to pull that off was to do it on our soundstage while we're, our cameras were up and while we're in production, while the, while the characters are in hair and makeup. Um, and so we would just accommodate it uh, between scenes and using our own crew and then mm -hmm. cut off the piece and get it off to the stage. Then they would there put it through their editing and do their thing. Um, uh, so 
it, 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 and it was in our interest. We, we needed the promotion. We wanted these stations to promote it as much as they could. And if that meant they needed what we'd call a custom promo, something that specifically was done for that station and written by that station with our help, uh, we were there to do it. And uh, as the marketing department, it would be tough to hear a producer say, we don't have time to do that. Or that mm-hmm. memo that, uh, that we were referring to would be very hard to hear and digest because it's like, all right, you, you need promotion. You, you, you espouse that you want it and here we are doing it. And now you're saying, you know, you don't have time. That said, I get the pressures of trying to get the show in the can in the first place. Yes. They're right. under com- complete uh, stress and duress trying to get the stuff on film to begin with, but it's all in a day's work and it's as much the responsibility to get the show promoted as it is to get it made. Right. Well, and as you said, as, as a nexus point in the pipeline there, someone like a Mary Howard who was able to throw that on the pile of all her duties. Because I, I remember seeing on call sheets all the time, promo shoot for so-and-so station and someone's called. But yeah, because they're in hair and makeup and the sets are lit and five minutes, if it's timed and planned for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes here to set up and, you know, and, and we're so much more nimble now than say in the 60s. That's right. You know, yes, you know. yes. It's so much, so much easier to pull it off now, but even, even still, um, uh, like you say, if the cameras are rolling and you've got the soundstage up and working, uh, you should be able to pull apart, you know, pull aside seven minutes to be able to have a, an actor, uh, you know, record a promo. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. Right. Being planned. Well, this is, yep. see, this is, again, this is just a fascinating aspect of of getting a show made but also making sure people's because if no one's watching then there's no point to making the show exactly right and that was the mind frame you know we would go into as our department it's like that we understand our responsibility and our value it's it's critically important and you know if if uh if you could hear every time a producer would call me or come down the hall and and say we need more promotion we need to you know uh and and we do what we can and then to have one throw cold water at you and say i don't have time and why are we over budget and making you feel bad that, that's not good but that's like good. i say I, I was very fortunate to have mary howard and she had an associate named brad yacobian yes who was worked with her and he was very fabulous and accommodating their mind frame was in the right place and it you know it all it all trickled down from rick berman who was a fantastic fantastic collaborator with our department and uh we all just did it together and made it happen well john there is one more aspect of your job and in fact everyone's job the the r word that everyone's concerned with the ratings uh, I can't squeeze it in here. I'd love if you could to come back and let's talk about the R word and how it affected everything you did in promotion and 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 over and and also the mumble jumbo, the co- the code words of of ratings. So could you could you come back and join us one more time, maybe? I'd be thrilled to, Larry. Absolutely. I just I I would love for that. I'd love for that because I can think of no one better to 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 talk us through the minefield of what exactly you know, this, this mumbo jumbo means than you, John. So I would really appreciate that. That's great. That's great. My pleasure. Sure. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment, and please do, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynemacek.com. Oh, and hey, check out all the Trek Files' new swag and shirts at the Trekland Shop at tpublic.com slash stores slash Trekland hyphen shop. Trek well, everybody.
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.